And so this morning, if you're just joining us for the first time, you're sort of like jumping into the conversation quite near the close. We're wrapping up a series called The Power to Change. And in the first few weeks, we looked at why it is the gospel of repentance for the forgiveness of sins that contains the power to change, which means that the power to change is with every single one of us. Because Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. That's the criteria to begin to unlock this power. And then we also saw from Revelation chapter 3 and 4 that there's a door on earth, a door in us, even as believers, that we need to open. When we open it, we will find a door in heaven already open, right before us, not far away, not in the future. There before me, says John, was an open door because of a victory that Jesus has won. And so we've been looking into then what this change actually rolls out to be. And uh, first we've seen when we looked at Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2, we've got to decide to make time with our bodies. Um, making time with other things. No, no, no. Literally the final frontier of obedience is your body. You've got to give that into the space. Effort is essential. Sec uh, firstly, um, secondly, earning is the problem. It's in view of God's mercy. You can't earn God's grace. You can't earn God's favor. You can't earn access to God. The door is open when you open. But that does not mean that there is not work to be done. Uh, we must invest effort in doing so. And we have to resist the pressure to conform to the age. And then last week we got really practical about what to do as we spend time seeking God through His Word. And we give our minds to that which makes us in its image. Remember, we saw that truth as we unpacked that. Whatever you set your mind on will make you in its image. That's the power of the mind. You cannot squeeze a new life out of an old mind. So you need a renewed mind to get the new life. And then this morning we turn to the second great New Testament passage about being transformed. Um, the word metamorphosis or metamorpho occurs four times in the Gospels. Twice it describes what happened to Jesus at the transfiguration. Then it's in Romans chapter 12. And then Adema read it for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, which I'm sure you followed. I'll give you a little more context and let's pick up in verse 12. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Sure. Very bold. We're not like Moses who put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. Like, we're not even hiding what's going on. But talking of the Israelites, their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because it is only in Christ that it is taken away. Even to this day. When Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. Note the mind and the heart. But whenever anyone, turn to the person next to you and say, whenever anyone, you've got to do better than that. Whenever anyone, ask them, who's anyone? Whenever anyone turns to the Lord. 
the veil is taken away. You get to see. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, talking of those who now located themselves in Christ, not the chosen few, not the select, not the worship team, not the elders, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate, reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image. See this contemplation, this reflecting on, reflecting of God. You look at him, you think, you contemplate, and literally what you fill your heart and mind and imagination with begins to change you. As we reflect the Lord's glory, contemplate the Lord's glory, we are being transformed into his image. So again, whatever you set your mind on is going to make you in its image. That's why I, I spoke several weeks ago about the algorithm idols. If you're going to set your minds on that, that is what will make you into its icon. Amen? No, that's very sad transformed with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So, in its simplest summary, Paul is showing us that transformation happens to us when we do something else. It's passive yet again. Being transformed is something that you allow to happen to you when you do something else in this passage as well. The Bible does not simply demand change. It does say repent, but that journey of repentance has many helpful nuances and understandings it's not just change fix yourself no in view of god's mercy something change is something god does in us and for us and through us when we do something else now in this case we're going to look at in romans 12 it was we renew our minds in this passage when we come face to face with his glory. Face to face with his glory. We see and are captivated by the wonder and the beauty, the love, the grace, the goodness, the purity, the power, the majesty, the glory, the infinity of God himself. But to understand this passage, first point, to understand this passage... We need the backstory. So we're going to leap to Exodus 34, where this backstory of this idea of radiant faces first pops up in the Bible. Exodus 34, Moses has been up on the mountain engaging with God, receiving from God the words of God and the will of God. And um, <clears throat> Moses is, knows it's good medicine, so he put it on two tablets. And now... Uh, Verse 29, he came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands. And he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. Not aware, his face was radiant. He had spoken with the Lord. And when Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, shining. And they were afraid to come near him. But Mo, not just afraid to come near him, <laughs> listen to this. Moses called to them, and so all the leaders of the community, Aaron and all the leaders of the community, 
came back to him. Now, if they came back to him, what happened? Yeah, they literally ran away. Like, hey guys, don't run away, it's me. Glow in the dark, Mo. And there he is. <laughs> Afterwards, all the Israelites came near him and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. Notice this. When Moses had finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out, he told the Israelites everything he was commanded. And they saw that his face was, face was radiant. So this was a repeated pattern. And then Moses put the veil back over his face until he went in again to speak with the Lord. So Moses is visibly transformed by time with God. Notice this, he's never veiled in God's presence. Always unveiled, face to face. He's always there for direct encounter and God was more than up for it. <laughs> the change was so dramatic it made others afraid. They withdraw, they run away. He has to call them, come back, come back. But Moses learns this, other part of the backstory. Only speak to them when your face is shining. Only speak to them when your face is shining. Only speak to them when you've literally been with God himself, when God's words are in your heart. And there's something, literally, people could see it on him, see it in him. He learns to speak to them out of the secret place with God. Only speak to them when your face is shining. He's never veiled when he speaks to the people. He doesn't come and stand there like a giant tent and you just get this voice. No, no, no. They see God's presence on them as he speaks to them. God is mediating his covenant to his people through his man. Now back in 2 Corinthians, Paul interjects like Paul does, because he just can't help himself, two major bullets of theological reflection or observation at this point. The first is this, A, the physical radiance was temporary, it was fading. And Paul's theological observation is that points to a covenant that is not going to last forever. So that's in the text. This is a covenant that's not going to last. This covenant will get surpassed by a glory that will last forever. So this fading glory points that the first covenant wasn't as strong as the second covenant. The second covenant made in and through Jesus... That's going to be permanent. That's literally going to change the world forever. You see, we're no longer just looking at how can I change. We're looking at God's power literally to bring through his people the present into the future. Second thing Paul observes is that the people were unsettled by the presence of glory. Moses wore a veil for their sake. He concludes that Moses only did this because their hearts were hard and their minds were dull. He's reading some of the other stuff that was going on in the wider Exodus story. I mean, it's not in those verses that we read. 
that he realizes that Israel's heart wasn't soft and open to the words of God and to the presence of God. But the headline to this backstory is pretty straightforward. It's our encounters with the living God that change us. It's our encounters with the living God, with his love, with his presence, with his goodness. These things change us. In fact, even Romans 12 serves this idea. It's not just the ideas of God that are going to change us. It's literally God himself. So number one, to understand the passage, we need the backstory. Number two, Paul only partly spiritualizes the physical miracle of radiance. He does spiritualize it, but only partly. Meaning that he doesn't expect everyone to glow in the dark and prove that they're very spiritual. Okay, But it wouldn't bother him for a moment if it repeated itself. We know, of course, that the climax of this almost like a little subset of theology is that Jesus, the two times in the New Testament, two other times this metamorphosis word is used, is when Jesus was transfigured, when Jesus changed, when he was praying on the mountain. And Moses and Elijah get dragged down from heaven to come and talk to him about his exodus. And Jesus begins to radiate light. Jesus clearly surpassed Moses. Moses could put on clothes that hid the radiance. What happened to Jesus? His threads became luminous. Like literally, even put clothes on him. They're still going to glow in the dark. Nothing can hide the radiance of Jesus. In Acts 6 verse 15, when Stephen is about to speak, the new covenant message of God to, the, to Aaron and the elders or to the Sanhedrin, as it were. It says his face was like that of an angel. There was something radiant about him. Whether it was physical or whatever, everyone stared at him intently. There was something compelling about his face that you could not, it says, they could not take their eyes off his face. It was like that of an angel. Revelation chapter 10, and you have to excuse my language here, but I have to give you the, the point. John sees the biggest, baddest, badass angel warrior who comes straight from the presence of God, and his message is time's up. Like history's over. It's done. That one who's going to announce the end, who's going to invoke the king whose kingdom now will have no shred of doubt, has a face, this angel, straight from the presence of God. His legs are like burning columns of fire. And his face shines like the sun. Paul wouldn't have had stressed about other people having radiant encounters. In fact, a Zulu Baptist pastor from KZN, William Duma, there's an extraordinary ministry in signs and wonders. Used to have an annual fast for 21 days up in the Valley of a Thousand Hills, right near where they run the combats. And on several occasions in his ministry during that time of prayer and fasting, he became physically radiant. 
but can go read the story, several eyewitness reports. And what was absolutely great to me is this was in the heart, heart, heart of apartheid. And you would think that if, you know, a black man is going to be really holy, what color did he become? He didn't become white. <laughs> People said he carried a gold like honey. Isn't God great? Like even in our diversity, heaven shines through. Eh? So Paul only partly spiritualizes this. He's, he's doing theology. But he's not saying this can't happen. This doesn't happen. But he doesn't want us to miss how we get to the point of encounter and change. This, that happens to some people, but he wants us to know we all. We all. So that can happen. But you mustn't miss the spiritual theological truth. Transformation, and that's this. Number three. Transformation encounters come from the Lord who is the Spirit. Transformation encounters come from the Lord who is the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18, Paul says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. You see, when we are in the Spirit, we get to see the one who speaks to us. Which takes us back to, for example, John's experience. And I could multiply examples, I'm keeping it simple, referring to stuff we've looked at already. In, in John, uh, John's experience in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, on verse 10 and following, he says, On the Lord's day I was in the Spirit. And then he hears the voice that sounds like the blast of many trumpets. And I love this. He says, it was a voice behind me that sounded like this. He says, so I turned to see the one who was speaking to me. You can hear his voice, but he wants you to turn and look at the heart and the face of the one who speaks his love over you. John, the beloved disciple, hears the voice. He's put his head on that breast when Jesus was on the earth. And he knows himself to be the one Jesus loves. And he hears now this voice amplified by heaven's glory. And he's not satisfied with the auditory effect alone. He turns to see the one speaking to me. He sees in the spirit. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit. I heard the voice. I turned and saw. The one speaking. And his mind-blowing vision begins. You see, being in the spirit is a critical part of what it is to encounter God. And so when we get to Revelation 3 and 4, you know, behold, I stand, the door knock. Anyone opens, I will come in, eat with you, you with me. And then to him who overcomes, I'll give the authority, the power, the right to sit with me on the throne. Why? Because I've won a victory past tense. And then he, and then he says this, and then I saw before me a voice, stand, a, a door opening him. And I heard that same voice, in other words, the voice with many trumpets, the Jesus voice, the voice of the one who loves me. He said, come up here. I'm going to show you what's to come. He says, at once I was in the spirit. 
Interesting, he's in the spirit, he hears the voice, he sees. Then he sees, he hears the voice, and he's still in the spirit. It's like a, a lovely bracket between chapter 1 and chapter 4. He's in the spirit, he hears the voice, he sees. He sees, he hears the voice. He sees the open door, he hears the voice. And again, he's in the spirit. Those encounters that are going to stretch us are gifts that come to us when we learn what it means when Paul says, pray in the Spirit, be in the Spirit. So, number four, and I'm wrapping up now. We are changed in these encounters. Now, I, I've given you a couple of weeks of talking about renewing your mind, and doing the hard work of Bible study and observation, interpretation, integration, application, all that stuff. I hope your cerebellum is full, okay? But now we reach a point, a level that transcends intellectual analysis. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 14 and 15. Paul says that things start to happen in the spirit that are not the fruit of your mind. Your mind didn't produce it. You didn't think it out. You weren't clever enough. You didn't see it for yourself. What you saw was a gift. From God himself. So now having spoken about renewing our minds. We now encounter someone who blows them. I don't know how else to say it. Like, like literally he's just bigger than my ability to think or understand or articulate. And not because it's irrational or unreasonable. It just reflects capital letters. A reality far greater than our own. I'm entering into a reality of God's glory and goodness. And guys, this, you know, theologians mess up all the time. But the guys who've really lasted on this, whether it's John Calvin or John Piper or Craig Duvall or whoever else, the thing that stands out is this great love of the magnificence and the glory of God. You know, you could put some of the strangest people in the same room theological opposites but it will be this one reality that holds them a far greater reality than our reason can explain our reasons will divide us but the presence of god in this way pulls us together now, which just means not not that we mustn't have theology of course you must follow me um no <laughs> It means that I am weary of any system that claims to explain everything about an infinite God. I make room for mystery. I make room for wonder. I make room for breathless worship. David Pitchers, the founder of the New Wine Movement, tells of an experience of a family in his church. They used to have leadership conferences and people would travel from all over the world to come. They were experiencing renewal, revival in the church. And an Indian bishop who presided over a circuit of independent churches, so they weren't any mainline denomination, had heard that God was doing amazing things at David's church in Chorleywood outside London near Heathrow. So this Indian bishop, he traveled, he came to live with and learn from the ordinary people. He actually arranged to stay with a family from the church 
because he was far more concerned to learn how this was working amongst the ordinary people than, you know, the powers that be. But he still went, he, he sat through the conferences, he did the learnings, he heard the input, and, and, and he studied God's word, and he listened to the teaching, and repeatedly received prayer ministry, especially from the lay people. And they'd been taught to pray this. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. And when he began to come, they would pray, more, Lord. And those five words were sort of like all the prayer team knew at that stage. They were just getting going. And it was just like, come, Holy Spirit, more, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit, more, Lord. And so this Indian bishop began to receive this prayer ministry. And then one night, the family that he was staying with were awakened by the sounds of a dreadful, terrifying storm. The house seemed to be shaking. The noise of wind caused them all to rush downstairs, trying to find each other in safety. And they started turning lights on. And they realized that the bishop was still upstairs. They were worried. But then as they listened, they realized that the sounds and the shaking were coming from his room. A little bit like that movie where they say, the caller's inside the house, you know. Eventually, they all outside the bishop's bedroom door and there's like rumblings and thunder and like genuine sound of wind rushing through the place but everything is calm and so the dad opens the door to check closes the door and turns to his family and says the bishop's praying Like, what kind of explanation is that? Like, like, come on. What? Think about it. The bishops prayed. And with that, they all went downstairs to the lounge and started praying themselves. Because when you hear that God is on the move, that heaven is coming to earth, you don't just want to be curious. You see, Israel was thought to have dull minds. And, and the word for dull there is literally the word you get for callous on your hand or your foot. When you wear it, the skin, until the skin becomes thick and hard and insensitive and a thorn can go into it, you wouldn't know it because you become completely insensitive. Paul says their minds are insensitive. And Moses is meeting with God and all they want to do is to wait for him to put a veil over his face. No, no, no. We all with unveiled faces see, contemplate, reflect the Lord's glory and are being transformed with ever increasing glory into his image, which comes from the Lord. Who is the Spirit? Heard this week of Pastor William Bengu, another gloriously controversial man of God from South Africa's backstory. And he was doing uh, what they called a revival, like a campaign. And he was preaching. And it was his first night, and he wasn't happy with the results. He wasn't happy with what he was seeing. So he went back to his room and he was staying with one or two other ministers. And he went back to his room. The other ministers went to sleep, except one of them woke up because he realized that he's, he thought the room was on fire. There was so much heat. And when he got out of bed, 
he, uh, he realized that the wall between him and uh, Pastor Bengu was absolutely hot, Nicholas Bengu, with heat coming off the wall. And so he went and he realized as he listened that Nicholas was on his face before the Lord seeking breakthrough for God's people in this place, seeking breakthrough in the hearts of people who did not know that Jesus loved them and died for them. And he was praying. Guess what the minister did? He said it was so hot. Didn't pray. He opened the window so he could go back to sleep. That's the dullness that we're in danger of. Moses put the veil on. No. You want an unveiled veil. You want to see too. You want to experience. Don't leave a veil over your mind. Don't let a hardness grow. Uncover your mind. Open it up to mystery and glory. Unveil it by like John. Turning to the Lord. Then I turned and saw. Whenever anyone turns to the Lord. What's filling your vision? What are the things that are consuming your heart and your mind? If I will let my vision be filled with heaven's beauty. I will discover the transforming power of glory. Let's pray together.